This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan. This is the culmination of Battle for Malaysia, our ongoing coverage on GE15. What a ride it's been and this is the moment we've been waiting for since Saturday for the 10th Prime Minister of Malaysia to be named. So in an official statement from Istana Negara just before the 2pm hour, Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim was named Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister. Istana Negara says the swearing-in ceremony will be held at 5pm today. So joining us now is um, Fami Fadzil, Lembah Pantai MP and PKR Information Chief. Fami, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Fami, in an official statement, like I just mentioned, um, from the Istana Negara, Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim has been named Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister. What can you tell us, um, first and foremost, about the atmosphere at your HQ right now? Uh, well, I'm not at my HQ. I'm, I'm at my constituency office. Uh, it's another, almost another normal working day for me. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, solving people's problems, uh, making sure people don't get addicted, this, kind, this kind of thing. So, it's quite surreal. Life, to some extent, must go on. And yet, it is a tremendously momentous and historic day. Uh, it's something that, you know, for, for many of us who've been in this fight, in the struggle, it's the culmination of 24 years of struggle, you know, like, uh, you know, starting out with five seats in 99 and then going down to one and then going up to 30 and then uh, getting into government and getting, you know, having government snatched away. And um, and at the same time, Anwar Ibrahim serving, you know, multiple prison sentences. So this is, it, it, it's quite a historic day. Absolutely. Um, this has been quite a journey indeed um, since the Reformasi movement started in 1998. But we want to get down a little bit into the nitty-gritty. Um, Fami, can we clarify for us which parties or, or coalitions will be forming, uh, coming together to form this government? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to, be, to be honest and to be frank, um, I don't have an answer um, because I was not at the Majlis Rajaraja meeting, obviously. But if we were to follow public statements that were given, uh, we are starting out with uh, Pakatan Harapan with 82, including Muda, uh, with uh, BN 30, so that makes 112, and that already crosses the minimum majority, with Warisans 3, PBM 1, so that's 116. And then uh, now we see, given the position that uh, GPS and GRS have taken, uh, that puts us puts us in quite a, a firm and solid majority, inshallah. Right. Um, can you clarify for us um, what the YDPA and other political players over the last uh, couple of days mean when they say unity government? Because in political science term, Fami, a unity government would mean all parties coming together to form the government and there would be no opposition. Yeah, in, in uh, political science parlance, that would be the case. I think uh, this is as unity as we can get at this point, um, given the position that certain political parties have taken. Uh, Prikatan, up until five minutes before one, uh, had taken a position of not wanting to work together with Pakatan Harapan to form a unity government. I know for a fact when uh, Dr. Sri Anwar stepped out of Istana, a few days ago, after his meeting with His Majesty, uh, when he was confronted by the, the press scrum in front of Istana, uh, in Istana's uh, Gate 2, uh, he did say that uh, he is prepared to work together. 
uh, and that uh, he, he, he gave that signal. Uh, we saw subsequently BN gave the same signal, GPS gave a similar signal, and I think um, that's when we saw uh, effectively the domino kind of uh, start tilting and then it fell. Um, Fami, can we? I, I want to press that a little bit further, right? Because um, on the one hand, uh, you know, I, I want to know if y'all are open um, to accepting, uh, you know, Perikatan National if they do decide to come on board. And I, and on that note, if y'all are, what would that mean for checks and balances? Because we know that in in democracies, a healthy democracy would mean a, a strong uh, government, but also a strong opposition to maintain that check and balance. Yeah, I think I think. Um we don't entirely know the full extent of what it means at this point in time. I have personally not met up with Datuk Sri Anwar. The last time I was with him physically in the same room was yesterday evening. Um, but to assess the political landscape now, I think we have to look at the statement from uh, Istana Negara. Uh, we have to, uh, to an extent, operationalize that, meaning make it turn it into something concrete and practical. We have to remember the last time uh, an intervention from Istana was sought uh, was in July-August of 2021. And one of the key things from that uh, missive and that decision, uh, the missive from Istana Negara at that time was um, if those who, who lost don't lose everything, those who win don't win everything. And that stability is key. Uh, that was why, at that point in time, Pakatan Harapan heeded His Majesty's advice to sign an MOU with the government of Ismail Sabri. Um, but I think, given that the statement from Istana Negara came out really just half an hour ago, uh, I think we'd have to pass, we'd have to look through to understand what it means in full. And obviously, since we now have a Prime Minister, uh, we will have to wait for any, uh, whether it's comments or you know, some direction that he needs to give, political direction. Uh, so anything now in terms of a political reference point, it would have to be with uh, the right honourable 10th Prime Minister of Malaysia. Um, just to be clear, um, now the YDPA has na- named um, Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim as the Prime Minister. That's the first step. Um, but Anwar will still need to test his majority when Parliament convenes, right? Um, how confident, confident is Pakatan that he will pass this test? I think when we uh, built this majority, um, of course, we take it to be uh, something that is already uh, proven yeah, to His Majesty. Um, and I think right now it's still early days for us to uh, think about uh, having that test in Parliament. If we were to look at parliamentary precedents, uh, the test really only happened when there was a change in between um, um, the formation of parliaments. Yeah? So, for example, uh, when, when uh, uh, Pak Lah took over from Dr. Mahathir yeah, in 2004, when uh, uh, Najib took over from Pak Lah in 2009, but also when, when I remember there was an earlier incident. Yeah? Uh, so there have been times where majority was tested. There were times when majority was not tested. So the last two instances, which was um, when... Uh, Tan Sri Muhyiddin took over from Dr. Mahade as well as when Ismail Sabri took over from uh, Tan Sri Muhyiddin. Um, uh, they, they were not tested in, in Parliament. And I think, I don't know whether such a, such a, such a thing will, will recur again. 
whether a test is indeed needed at this point in time or whether uh, people are happy enough to, to go along. Right. Fami, uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. There sure. is the, the budget um, sort of a, a problem um, hanging there as well, right? Um, yeah. the, the Prime yeah. Minister and the Cabinet will need to, um, you know, pass the, and tab- retable and then pass to get the budget 2023 yeah. passed. That will be a crucial test for the numbers Definitely. as well, right? Definitely. So I think we don't have much time. It's already the end of uh, November, which gives us really just five weeks. Ordinarily, Parliament needs at least a month to be convened because you've got to first name your cabinet and then uh, they've got to learn the ropes of each ministry, um, be briefed on everything that's been happening so that when Parliament does con- is convened, then they would be in a position to answer questions in Parliament. Uh, but given the, the special circumstance that we're in, uh, another parliamentary president would, of course, be uh, 1999, yeah, where um, at that time, what was uh, the kind of uh, political agreement that was reached, well, to some extent, was that uh, there was limited debate and um, there, the, the focus of the budget at that time was really to pass something for the next three, four months. And then a full budget is tabled uh, in at either at the end of the first quarter or the start of the second quarter. That was what happened in the year 2000. So whether we will follow the same approach or whether there, there will be something slightly different, uh, we will have to both refer to uh, the Prime Minister as well as the incoming Finance Minister. Right. Um, I want you to, uh, can you, now that, um, you know, it's it's already official, Barisan National has thrown their support um, behind Pakatan Harapan and uh, Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim. Um, can you uh, perhaps uh, tell us a little bit more about the deal that was struck between Pakatan Harapan and Barisan National? Because there is still some voices that are concerned about that. Um, so what can you tell us? Because I think yesterday there was some news publi- uh, that was uh, published that about a 10-point yeah. deal um, between yeah. Pakatan Harapan and Barisa National. Yeah, I cited the document, um, and unfortunately, I have not received um, the latest position from BN. But I believe they did accept it. I've not had a conversation with my counterparts, um, and I'm not in the primary, uh, the principal uh, negotiating team. Uh, for that, we have to refer to Dato Sri Saifuddin Nasution, uh, Rafi Ziramli, uh, and uh, a few others. Yeah. Um, but in the 10 points, uh, a lot of it was uh, matters of principle. I think what you have read in that news article, by and large, has been uh, true to the form of that uh, preliminary agreement, Perjanjian Awal. Um, I think uh, what, is, what is fundamental here is that there is uh, an agreement from the Barisan National side uh, to this early agreement. Yeah, uh, it, it really is something that uh, started as a as a discussion between uh, uh, representatives of both coalitions, which met in Sri Pacific um, on Monday, I think it was, and they came out with a list, and then uh, it was quite comprehensive, and then uh, uh, the Barisan side came out with a list, Pakatan Harapan responded, um, I think, the following day, um, and I believe that is possibly what sealed the deal. Right. Um, Fami, on that note, right, uh, how has the, the PH Barisan National Pact been received by the grassroots and, and you know, um, Pakatan Harapan, you know, passionate Pakatan Harapan supporters? Yeah. Um, it's not about the pact. I think it's just, um, you, you know, to put it simply, strange bedfellows. I mean, we just came out of a very bruising um, general elections, but having been in touch with several 
whether high ranked or you know kind of divisional level amno leaders there is an, an an awareness and a cognizance of the fact that um we are at a stage where one we do need to form a working government we do need a government at this point in time we don't have much time uh do we have enough uh political capital and will to set aside whatever differences for the sake of stabilizing the political situation ensuring that the economy is put back on the right path um and also you know to not to let bygones be bygones you know it's not about um you know being you know holding uh, vengeance right or political vendettas that's that's not the point at all in fact if anything uh party kalan rakyat ya pkr uh we we have been known to be quite uh, forgiving you know we were we were that way with uh, with dr mahade um and and also with with others so generally i think at this point in time um most of the hardcore members that i have spoken to in my division in lebah pantai are happiest with the fact that anwar ibrahim is the 10th prime minister not so much uh, we haven't spoken so much too much about um the the barisan nasional component that provides the support to lend the numbers that form that majority i think we will get to that uh and we will probably have to uh, as i mentioned uh, to to some before uh, speak with the grassroots to explain what actually is going on we have never been in this situation before as as a country parliament has never seen such a fractured post election political landscape in terms of uh, majorities in terms of the number of seats uh, and it's complicated by the fact that um you know sabah has something slightly different sarawak has something slightly different peninsular malaysia has something completely different and don't forget we still have pahang to sort out so let's see whether that gets uh, sorted today as well um i know everything a lot of things are still up in the air do we know what the cabinet composition will look like because there are some rumblings that certain component parties of pakatan harapan may not even be part of cabinet i think that's all speculation at this point in time um i was there when when some of this discussion uh came up i completely know the context of what that that meant uh we are not in that context so whether we will be in that context or not as uh the right honorable 10th prime minister of leisure uh, starts to build his cabinet uh we will have to wait and see uh, i think there is room uh, i think tonku's message is very clear uh winner doesn't take all loser don't don't you know doesn't lose everything so that's applicable within government as well as with uh, an opposition if there is going to be one again um i'm saying this with the fact that um at 5 minutes to 1 prikatan suddenly came out and said you know okay we we're, we're ready to be part of a unity government so so i don't know what is their position whether you know wh- whether they can accept uh Anwar Ibrahim as the 10th prime minister so we'll have to wait and see so i think even the formation of cabinet may have to be dependent on um this 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 agreement yeah within who is in who is who is not fami thank you so much for speaking with me today
Thank you. That was Fami Fazil, Lumba Pantai MP and PKR Information Chief, giving us some clarity of the events that led to Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim being named as Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister and what might happen after in what will be an unprecedented new government in Malaysia. We're going to go for a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more analysis on this breaking news with Dr. Bridget Welch, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. Keep it here on Battle for Malaysia, BFM 89.9. Hello, I'm Dashran Johan. You're tuned to our special Battle for Malaysia programming on BFM. In case you missed it, just before 2pm, Istana Negara released an official statement naming Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim as Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister. Istana Negara has also announced that the swearing-in ceremony will be held today at 5pm. Before the break, we heard from Fami Fazil, who's the MP for Lumba Pantai and PKR's Information Chief. But now we have Dr. Bridget Welch, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute, joining us to help unpack this historic news. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bridget. Great to be here, as always. Um, Bridget, Anwar has been named the 10th Prime Minister of Malaysia. What are your overall thoughts? Well, some people would, the first reaction people would say is finally he made it huh? after a long period of time. Uh, I think that, um, but it, it is... Um, I would say that it's an extremely challenging uh, situation for him to be in uh, because he does he has to rely on cooperation, um, and he also has he's facing a very trying time for Malaysia in terms of management of the economy, um, coming out of an election where uh, there are heightened racialized uh, uh, tensions and concerns, and also you know he. Um, there are a lot of tasks uh, that he has. Uh, you know, he in particular he has to reach out to the opposition um, and to be able to kind of have a bit of healing, but also importantly to be able to feel that their voices are included in this uh, in the in the governance process. And in a sense, this is a time of of, of different outreach, a new type of politics uh, potentially, where instead of uh, trying to demonize different sides, uh, there is a sense of wanting to work for cooperation. And I think this in itself is challenging given some of the personalities involved and the history involved. Um, I do think one of the big tests here, and I know we're talking about Anwar Ibrahim and, and, and what the task will be for the new government, but I would say one of the issues to watch for right now is how the opposition reacts to this um, and uh, and, is, and is willing to, you know, to to give a benefit of the doubt and, uh, and to and to get to call calm their supporters uh, uh, given this period of time. You know, the electorate is very divided. And my analysis of ethnic voting shows that, you know, the, the PH only won 11% of Malay support, um, while P, PN won uh, uh, the majority of 54. So the inclusion of UMNO, which won a third of the electorate of Malay votes, for example, and um, would actually make a big um, uh, make big impact. I also think the inclusion of, uh, of uh, Borneo, uh, both Sabah and Sarawak, are extremely important in terms of representation. And I think that uh, reaching out to the young voters, and I think disproportionately PN from my preliminary analysis, uh, many young they won the the bulk of the the, Malay, the plurality of Malay, of younger voters. So I think you know it, it's a, there's a challenge of of outreach across different uh, different social cleavages in Malaysia society that I think are in, are indeed I think a challenge. 
Um, you used the word opposition a couple of times, Bridget. Um, over the past few days, they've, you know, whether it's the YDPA or you know various political players, they've used the term coming together to form a unity government. But as you are aware, Bridget, um, when in political science, unity government means you know all parties come together, whether it's you know a world war situation, an international emergency, things like that. Um, you know, they come together and there'll be no opposition in that context. How do you read unity government in this? context? Well, I think, you know, we have, we had a very uh, uh, challenging situation and that we have a situation of, of ideological polarization for more progressive forces on one side and more conservative forces on the other. So this required um, to have more outreach of parties that are uh, uh, somewhat conservative, uh, both uh, and coalitions that are conservative, both Barsan National and GPS can be seen as conservative, but at the same juncture, not as conservative as PN. Um, and in that, uh, and so, so, so the sense of, of trying to win some of the middle ground to make an outreach to have a broader ideological spectrum is to create a sense of unity. I do think that, you know, um, uh, there are two things here. Number one, how well will they work together? So we'll see how unified they actually are. Um, you know, that that in itself will be a challenge. And second of us all is that, you know, I think across many spectrums, this particular formula of in Malaysian politics is, I think, a more stable one. And I think the focal point was on stability. Um, and, and I do feel that, you know, it, the one of the biggest challenges in the more immediate ground is for is to build a common policy platform and focus. Um, uh, and, and to reach out. Now, as to the second part of your question, which has to do with the opposition, I think that, you know, Malaysia is, um, a strong Malaysia is where there is a good opposition, that opposition that that is a loyal opposition that raises questions, that that, that engages in debate, um, and that is engaged in, you know, focusing on policy issues and moving the country forward in a particular uh, dynamic. I think, you know, uh, I think that there are, um, there are some people in PN uh, that I think are uh, have uh, experience in both being in the opposition, including uh, Hadi Awang, who was the op leader of the opposition for two years. Um, and uh, I think that we also see uh, Muhyiddin Yassin has had a lot of experience uh, on policy sets of issues. So I think that the burden now, or the responsibility, is another way of saying thinking about it, is on is on these leaders uh, in the opposition to to have a platform and to to raise concerns. Um, I think given that the, how much support they have, I think that they will have the potentially a loud voice. The question is how they will use that voice um, in, a, in, a, in a particular, in a constructive way um, in this area. I think, um, uh, you know, uh, the real challenge is, I think one of the biggest challenges is to manage the racialized tensions that have come out of this GE15. I think I want to circle back to that um, a little bit later. But, you know, what has been transpiring over the past um, two to three days is, is something still very new in the Malaysian context. You know, politicians, um, you know, going in and out of meetings, um, you know, trying to st uh, strike deals with one another. What can you tell us about the various deals that have been struck over the past few days that led us to this moment right now? I think we've seen... Um uh, a few key pivotal uh, 
points. All right. So first of all, um, I think Anwar Ibrahim learned the hard lesson that you can't just work with one leader. You have to work with the part of the party, um, you know, especially when that leader, Zahid Hamidi, is, doesn't have the same level of uh, legitimacy having uh, in his own party because of the, having brought about a defeat. I think uh, that was a particular hard lesson. All right. I think the second thing we, we've seen um, in this process is that um, is the role of the monarch in trying to facilitate um, and open up space for for discussions. Right. Uh, and I think uh, this was um, an important pivotal role of uh, of the, the monarch playing uh, um, the Agong playing an important uh, role of, of stability. Right. Uh, in this context. And, and I think, uh, you know, when Malaysia looks back at the history of this particular moment, when we'll, when we'll see that um, yeah, both leaders right, of parties, uh, as well as um, as the Agong played an important role for in this transition. And, and keep in mind, this is the second uh, transition of government uh, that is done peacefully from after an election. I mean, we've had we've had a multiple peaceful transitions of government that have involved changes of coalition. But we have this is another one after an election. And I think it speaks uh, so far. It speaks very well for Malaysia in this process. Uh, I think the third thing is, is that the need to be able to accommodate your political base. Keep in mind that, you know, we're talking of decades of political socialization. There are doubts in Pakatan Harapan supporters about this relationship. There are, about, there are doubts in UMNO supporters and GPS supporters. Right? And it's not just about the personalities. It's also about being able to manage the grassroots. I think, you know, we've seen in the last few days very changing narratives. And I think that there will be uh, an important trust building exercise needed at both at the elite level, but also within the society itself. I think this next uh, few days and next week, um, when there'll be two things happening. One is that the, the narrative of outreach and the narrative of, of engaging um, the, and setting the tone for the for the new government will be very important. Um, you know, I, I, I think that Pakatan uh, Harapan in 2018, one of the, the things that I think that contributed to its weakness was that it, it operated an opposition mentality. And, and, and I think that that fueled a lot of suspicion, you know, canceling of projects and and uh, and just uh, and and still operating with a tone in terms of that created um, a particular way that was that made it harder for them to mend fences to be, you know, now there's a responsibility of need of, of being a government for all, not just representing your political base. I think the other um, uh, big challenge is also to uh, to find um not just the narrative, but also to form the cabinet. And I think the cabinet, um, you know, everybody knows that cabinet choices are uh, always a very challenging thing, especially within a coalition or within others. I understand that there have been already preliminary conversations about that and allocations of certain of, of types of positions. I think that, you know, uh, I think that Despite all the attention that people are talking about in terms of distrust of leaders, um, there has been um, a you know the, there has been I think a quite uh, uh, sophisticated and a thoughtful type of process. I mean it's been a fast learning process, but I think that there's a recognition that there's this, this need to focus on the cabinet and 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 inevitably they're going to be. Um, uh, uh, 
problems that have come from this. So let, let's be realistic. Right. You know, I, I you know, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't change things very quickly. And I think what will be important is if those negotiations are done respectfully and behind closed doors, and that Pakatan Harapan doesn't, ref- and in particular coalition partners don't refer, don't respond to the in the usual way that they do, which is to to take that to the public and to and and it, and it fuels the sense of de- of of uh, dissent and and difference. Um, and this is not to say that there shouldn't be dissent and difference, but more, but about the way that it is handled in this context. And keep in mind that this particular transition has tr- had tremendous public scrutiny, and that's a positive thing. But that's also that's also uh, a negative thing. In many places, in terms of a uh, hung parliament, the conversations are just behind closed doors and they're kept there, right? But here, because there was so much, there's so many different parties, there's so many different personalities that you have to accommodate. You can see that it, it is a, it, it has these sets of challenges um, that are that are and and Malaysians are not are used to taking things out uh, in public and and, the, and of course the public wants to know everything and all the details <laughs> and everything else uh, sometimes you know sometimes that's important uh, they need to know the important things right in, in this type of areas and i think uh, no question but i also think that sometimes the, the trust building needs a bit of time to to have a meaningful kind of uh, um, collaboration and, and others and 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 I think this is that these two things you know besides the the issues of racialized tensions and also the economy which is the big big thing in the room all right are, are all are things that I think are going to be challenges for the new government um, and I think their point you know what is important in in and we learn from in political science from peace building exercise or forging cooperation is that you need to find common ground, um, and you need to find a way to 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 work on that common ground uh, uh, from a, um, in that perspective. And it, and it, if it if it comes to be around personality, um, and you know uh, that's that that is not helpful. And I think uh, I think right now, you know, one of the real challenges Anwar Ibrahim faces as a, as a leader is that he's often played a, a pattern of pitting people against each other. Right? You know, we've seen that in that particular way. Now is a time he, that he has to be really above that to put to not to build build relationships with people uh, and i think that uh you know in particular you know the style of confrontation which we saw uh for for example in dp into in, in 2018 in harapan we and we've seen in the campaign through Rafizi ramli for example in that area that there has to be there for the short term there has to be a way that, uh, to kind of to find a way to ameliorate some of that confrontation and to move towards a more cooperative conversation. Uh, this is not to, you know, to dismiss the important issues of corruption or other things that are that are legitimate concerns, but more from the perspective of, of finding a um, finding a, a period of, of trust building. I think one thing that Mahathir did very well in the very beginning part of his 2018 uh, period of uh, of his cabinet was to appoint a small cabinet so that they could learn and get to know each other and work together in the very very beginning, right? That subsequently expanded, right? But he had a core cabinet right away. I think that is that's something to a model to consider from a perspective of being able to build trust building um, in this context. Because so, people, many of these people, they know of each other, but they don't know each other. And there's a lot of distrust at multiple levels that will be here, that'll be necessary. Uh, Bridget, I also want to get your thoughts on DAP, because um, throughout this, they have been largely quiet, at least um, publicly. Um, and 
you know, besides uh, today where they released um, public apologies to um, GPS in Sarawak for, for things they may have said in the past. Um, and there's also some rumblings about whether DAP is likely to play a smaller role in federal government. Um, you know, though they are the, the second largest party in, you know, among all the, the two, the, 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 all the parties right now, they are the second largest individual party. Um, do you think this is fair if DAP does take a step back and say, you know, have a reduced role in government? I think what Malaysians, you know, the issue now is to find a cabinet that has the most competent people in it, right, for the respective tasks that are necessary. And I think, um, you know, this, let's let's be clear, the political, the, the global situation is an extraordinarily challenging one. The domestic one is a very challenging one. So you need to find people who have the expertise and the experience in these sets of areas. I think that, uh, you know, I do think that it is important, uh, given um uh given the election results as well as the this the issue of trust building across Malaysia society that there ha- that prominent positions are represented by uh communities from Saban Sarawak or the Malay community all right uh, in that context um, um and that means and some DP also has some Malay representatives but they're all very young right it, and they don't have that same experience so i think that um you know, I do believe that DAP as a party that needs to get its positions, uh, and I think it's important to get the right people from DAP in those positions, not people that will be seen as uh, as fueling some of the kind of uh, tensions that are there. Right? I think that you know. Uh, DAP ministers performed reasonably well in the previous government, uh, and some of them were the best performers in that government. So I think that there is there is a lot of talent to choose from. Um, the question now is not to have a mindset that is focused on personality uh, and, and others, uh, but as I said, to put the right person in that job, and to also keep in mind that you know DAP, for example, has a fair amount of women representation uh, within it, um, and so the inclusion is on multiple levels. It's not just about party representation. It's also about gender representation. It's also about skill sets and competency. Um, uh, and I think those things are, I think, are, are important to bring attention to that, you know, keep in mind that there are, are the ability to bring in, um, uh, uh, to bring in and people through the senator route um, in that context. And I also think that, you know, uh, there are issues of uh, technocratic expertise that, that can that can, that may be necessary in some areas. It's unlikely to happen because of the context of the need to accommodate different areas. I think, you know, on Ibrahim's one of his promises in the campaign was to keep the, camp- the, the cabinet smaller um, there. And I think, uh, you know, that is probably wiser to, from a perspective of revenue demands uh, um, and uh, and also forging uh, cooperation that is uh, that is kind of uh, um, trust building. Uh, but I think uh, uh, that uh, there's still going to be a need to accommodate different actors uh, from many different coalitions. Um, and I think it's not just about PN and DEP. It's also about GP, you know potentially other parties that might be in the co- be in the government, uh, particularly those from Borneo. You are someone who, you know, follows, uh, you know, even the movements on the state level as well. How much did Pera and Pahang negotiations impact federal level negotiations? 
I think both of those were a real gesture of goodwill on the part of uh, uh, PKR and uh, Pakatan Harapan in particular, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, for, to to outreach to P, to BN. Um, you know, uh, they were done quickly and they were happened, um, uh, you know, in a, I think in a way that the faster conversation. I also think it uh, um, allowed people to see that these these relationships taking place at the state level so that when it came at the when it's coming at the national level, it wasn't as much of a shock. And key, and one of the things that's very important about Perak is Perak was a a relate a. It had, they have already had trust relationships. They know each other, right? They they made a they had a, a memorandum of understanding in Perak that it facilitated that when they had a hunks assembly previously in uh, um, there after defections and so forth and after elections. So we see a situation where um, uh, you know these things set the set the the uh, baseline and and build our trust building in this process. I do expect we're going to see some changes potentially in uh, in governance in uh, maybe uh, there are pressures for governance changes in Sabah. But I think what is interesting is that it's, it's still very fluid because it depends on how all of the, the composition of the, the federal government. And so there's always a, a, a synergy between state and federal government. And, and, different, and we've seen this historically since 2018, especially where we've had falls and, and, and rises of different state governments. Um, we've seen pushback in Sarawak among citizens, NGOs, and even political parties towards, um, you know, GPS um, working with Perikatan National, for example. At one point, that was on the table um, due to religious and racial rhetoric that Pass and Muhyiddin Yassin has been espousing. Uh, I wonder how much did that factor in here? Because at one point, the ball was in Muhyiddin Yassin's court. I think, you know... Uh uh, the issues of representation from a perspective of, of ethnic and religious issues are, are still extremely salient in Malaysia. There's no question. We can see that the that GE15 ethnic ethnic voting was very pro prominent, right? You know, we see other cleavages as well. We see, you know, but this was particularly an important uh, uh, fault line in Malaysian politics. And I think that, um, uh, you know, GPS... Uh, did have considerable blowback uh, um, among um, many different sets of actors. It, the population is 63% Christian, um, and I think that you know uh, my 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 view is that. Uh, the, the premier Abang, Abang Johari would have faced some significant um, continued destabilizing effect in his coalition because that momentum kept growing right um, in that context. Uh, so my sense is that. Um, the, this issue did provide, um, uh, did help to change it, uh, uh, the dynamic in this regard, um, because, you know, there is still uh, a lot of misunderstanding about how the parties are perceived. And there's a, a lot of stereotypical things about parties are perceived. I mean, I feel that, you know, uh, uh, the there needs there, there also needs to be these conversations, right, in this context. I think that but what PN, there were two things that changed PN's political fortunes. Uh, number one is uh, I felt the response that Muhyiddin Yassin made to the, to the Agong about a unity government. And again, I reiterate, it's not what was said, but how it was said that is extremely important in that context. So I think the second thing that, that changed things were this kind of mobilization of, of, uh, of concerns about um, the, the ethnic issues and ethnic representation. 
which is happening on both sides, right? You know, it's happening about representing the, the Muslims and then representing Malays, as well as representing Christians and, and other other faiths. So I think uh, uh, this is why what we see is a government that is uh, that is combining both progressive and more conservative forces, but are seen to be uh, uh uh, um, not pass and not PM. Um, what are some of the lessons um, you think Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim should learn from Pakatan Harapan's last stint in government? Because while that one, you know, Pakatan Harapan had the numbers and they just formed government on by themselves, there was some ideological differences, um, some vision, the differences in vision, in direction they want to take the country between um, Mahathir, for example, and and, large, at, uh, and Bursatu at large, con, uh, compared to, let's say, PKR, Amana, and DAP. And that also contributed to the fall of the Pakatan Harapan government. It wasn't just about, so, uh, quote-unquote, betrayal. And, and things like that. that. That arguably is what, you know, led to the betrayal in the first place, among others. What are some of the lessons Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim needs to learn so that, that a similar situation does not happen again? So, first of all, um, I think it's important to recognize that this situation now is very different than last time because, uh, first of all, we're going to have a we, Malaysia has a much stronger opposition now. <laughs> I mean, in terms of numbers and mobilization of that opposition um, in that context, uh, um, I think that will be, you know, what we saw when uh, PAS was in opposition in 2019 was the, the strengthening of issues of identity politics. So I think that the first one of those lessons is, is to is to to not ignore the issues of identity politics uh, in that context. In order to not ignore that, you need to have a better communication strategy, um, which that, uh, and you also need to have clear priorities uh, from the perspective of, uh, of uh, you know, if there's too much going on, then there's not a clear sense of what people are are, are focusing on. One of Mead and Yasin's strengths was that he he, he gave the impression of not only uh, making uh, the Malay community feel secure, right, uh, many parts of the Malay community feel secure, but he also felt that he was a uh, successful um, in terms of focusing on the economy. And this brings me to, uh, you know, um, uh, the issues of the economy. Uh, I think there needs to be a kind of uh, a inclusive national, you know, inclusive, inclusive recovery discussion about what are the economic policies in place. And this, these need to involve not only where money is going to be spent, but also in terms of revenue sources, and also to assure the international investors about what what is uh, what is uh, you know um, Malaysia's po- political stability. So it steps need to assure that that in this regard. I think that, um, you know, Malaysia cannot afford to cut the social safety net. Um, in fact, they need to talk about how to strengthen the social safety net. Um, that, you know, if, I firmly believe that there are three drivers of what happened in terms of PN support. One had, one was, of course, the green wave and the, and the, 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 the reality of a, a large section of society that is very conservative. But I also believe that there was these issues of economic vulnerabilities that were, ba- that, that underscored the, um, uh, uh, you know, the attention, the, use of resources, but also the sense of, um, uh, of uh, you know, people wanting to find uh, the the best uh, place, and those vulner and Muhyiddin Yassin's government was the was seen among uh, not a not a Pakatan Harapan government was seen as a government that addressed the stability uh, and and provided a social safety net during the COVID time. And I think the third thing that was there was about Muhyiddin Yassin's popularity, and that goes back to how he was framed, his communication strategy, um, uh, in that in that and and his focus on the economy. People 
want and and the stability they thought that it brought. But in fact, you know, his government was not a stable government. But irrespective of that, what is important is, well, perceptions that do really matter. Uh, So priorities, (laughs) um, uh, focusing on the economy, focusing on communication, uh, addressing uh, and not ignoring the issues of identity politics, um, building a social safety net are some of the key uh, uh, factors that I would identify. Uh, Not to be left out is the need to to uh, to manage your coalition well um, and, and your own coalition uh, so that you can work well with others uh, in this context and to appoint competent people. I think that sometimes to some of the ministries that they were people were ha- didn't have the experience to manage those ministries, <laughs> uh, and I think that uh, there was a, lo- a, a tough learning curve. And I think final point I would say is that, you know, there's a lot of resistance to reform. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we learned about the, the deep state and other actors during the first Pakistan Harapan government. One cannot ignore that that is real and significant. Um, and one has to find ways to address some of uh, to, to be cognizant of that and how one goes about that. You know, for, uh, one of the things more generally is that, uh, you know, these Institutions become are too politicized. So the MACC is a very political institution. Uh, the Election Commission has also be, has you know political divisions. I think finding putting professionals into these jobs that that and not and these institutions not become politicized. I believe that they have the MACC has been highly politicized, including during the Harapan uh, Pakistan Harapan previous government that was led uh, by Mahathir Mohammed at that time. And I think that we see uh, these institutions need to be strengthened and, and more so than, than ever. I think that the last four days in the hung parliament has reminded Malaysians that if without these strong political institutions, you're not in a position to be able to to manage conflict and it becomes personality based. So um, these things I think are, are need to be kept in mind and finding finding the right people in, in the right positions, choosing, and Malaysia has a lot of talent, so choosing the right people. And on that note, Bridget, thank you so much for joining me today. Most welcome. That was Dr. Bridget Welch, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. We're going to go for a quick break now and then back uh, to our regularly scheduled programming for a bit. But don't go anywhere. Our evening edition team will keep you company later at 5pm as BFM brings you the swearing-in ceremony and continuous coverage on Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim being named Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister. I'm Dashan Johan. This has been Battle for Malaysia, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.